Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. There was an interesting turn of events that happened um, in the life of Elijah, the story of Elijah. Elijah the prophet showed up out of nowhere and began giving the word of the Lord to this nation, Israel, God's people that had rebelled against him, turned against him. And Elijah said, there will be no rain for three and a half years. He didn't actually give them a timeline. He just said, there'll be no rain or no dew in the land until I say so. And as he he says that, the drought begins three and a half years later, he shows up. And he stands toe-to-toe with 850 of the false prophets in the land. And he, he wins. God shows up. Fire from heaven comes down and shows all of Israel that the Lord is God and these false idols of Baal and Asherah are not. And so he does this. He has this incredible victory. Then he goes to God and he prays. And ask God to send rain again. And the Lord sends rain again. And everything is working. Everything is clicking. Elijah should be on cloud nine. But then this turn of events happens. And something that you would not expect to happen takes place. And two responses that we're getting ready to take a look at come from seemingly nowhere. Things that you would not have expected. A logical person would not have expected these things to take place the way that they did. But nonetheless, they did. This is what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. This is where we left off last week. When Ahab, who was the king of Israel, married to his wicked wife Jezebel, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now there's two responses in here that I want you to see that I would not have expected. The first response is Jezebel's. This is an evil, wicked queen, yes, but this is an evil, wicked queen who has been without water in her land with her people for three and a half years. And this man shows up and turns the nation back to God. And not only that, rain comes to the land and they're getting ready to flourish again. They're getting ready to be blessed again. This is something that I would have thought her and her husband Ahab would have turned to the Lord and said, God, thank you for sparing us in your mercy. But that's not what happened. She turned in her her wickedness once again and said, I'm going to kill Elijah. The only thing she could think about was her, her wicked plans were now thwarted. Her false prophets that she was sending into the land to devastate God's people were now dead. That's all she could think about. So that's the first response that may catch you off guard. But then the second response is the one I really want to mind down on today. Elijah's response. This was very inconsistent in the life of Elijah. This is not the Elijah that we've seen up until this moment. Because the man we've seen up until this moment has stood in front of 850 prophets and prevailed. 
that Elijah, we've seen so far, stood nose to nose with the king of Israel and would not back down. That Elijah, we've seen up until this moment, was a man of faith. God told him, go to the Gentiles. He went to the Gentiles and the Gentiles provided food for him. God sent him into the wilderness and ravens came and fed him. This is the man of faith that we've seen. So this man that we're reading about, this is, this doesn't seem like Elijah. This is very inconsistent. And my question for you is, have you ever seen someone like this? Where they've been strong for so long. They've been full of faith for so long. They've been the person that everyone goes to. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the woman in your family that everybody seeks advice from. Or the man in your family who always puts things on his shoulders and he carries you and he carries your whole family through the fire, through the mud, and he's always there. He's always dependable. And then all of a sudden, he just breaks. And you don't see it coming. You don't understand why it happened, it just happens. That's where we're at with the life of Elijah. He's been strong for so long and now he's finally had it. When those things happen, they shock us, they surprise us because we're, we're so used to them being strong and maybe you're picturing people in your mind that you're used to being strong or maybe, just maybe, you are that person. Maybe you are that person and everyone's used to having it all together always having the answer, always being the strong one, and you're just tired. That's where we find Elijah. I love the way A.W. Pink says it. He says this, and I just told you, you know, we all get weak. He says this, the best of men are but men at best. The best of us. There is no such thing as Superman and Superwoman. There are only men and women who are anointed by God, who have the grace of God and the strength of God. There are no supermen. We all need him. Elijah literally just finished running 15 to 25 miles ahead of a chariot. Think about this. The man outran thoroughbred horses. The man could have won the triple crown. He outran them for 15 to 25 miles in the strength of God. Now here he is in his own strength and in his own fear running away from Jezebel and Ahab for 100 miles. Beersheba was 100 miles south of where they were. And he ran away this time in his own strength, not in the strength of God. Now this isn't the first time that Elijah has run away from God. I mean run away, excuse me, from Ahab and Jezebel. He ran away the first time, but that time he left because God told him to leave. God told him to leave after he called for the drought. This time he left because he was afraid. This time he left because he was done. He had had enough. Have you ever noticed how when we make decisions like that, when we step away from what we know God wants us to do, there's no peace? You don't feel any kind of peace? When you do things that you know are outside of God's will, as long as you don't have a seared conscience, because the Bible talks about people who've seared their conscience and you're just perfectly fine doing evil and wicked and it doesn't bother you anymore. It's not that you don't have a conscience, it's that you seared it. But for those of us who still have that, still have one, you have no peace when you're doing it. What happens? You get frantic. You start getting nervous all the time. You start trying to control everything. Why? Because if you don't fear God, you have to fear everything else. 
And if you're not following God's control and letting God control things, what happens? You feel like you have to control everything. Let me, let me pair a couple, two things for you that I don't think you've, some of you have ever really put together. Some of you have. But the reason why you try to control things is because you're afraid of other things happening. Fear and control are very much coupled together. When you find a, a super controlling person, don't think that they're strong. The truth is, is they're internally weak because their fear is causing them to have to control everything. That's just the fact of it. When we step out of God's will, we feel like we got to control everything, every, every situation, everything. Has, we, we are in charge now. We are in control now. And can I be honest? That's exhausting. It's tiring. You run out of energy. You just burn out when you do it that way. God never told Elijah to leave. And I wonder what would have happened if he would have stayed what would have happened if he would have never left? Maybe God would have dealt with Jezebel right there on the spot. Later on in this series, we'll get to that. God does deal with Jezebel. He does deal with Ahab. But I wonder if that would have been expedited if Elijah would have stayed. Now, here's the thing about the Bible. Bear with me. I love the brutal honesty of the Bible. The Bible is just very honest and very raw about its heroes. That, that's how you can know the validity and the, the proof of the Bible that it's true. It's because the Bible will tell you all of the bad stuff about the people that it claims to be heroes. It doesn't whitewash it. It doesn't pretend like it doesn't exist. It just tells you all of your flaws and stuff. Some of you may go, man, I wish I could have lived in Bible times. I don't. Because y'all be reading about all my stuff, all my drama, <laughs> not having that. Think about the heroes in the Bible. Peter, the great apostle that we know and we love, denied Jesus three times in his darkest moment. Not only that, but even after Jesus died, rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven and made, made the apostles, the leaders of the church, sent them out. The apostle Paul still had to confront the apostle Peter because he was in fear of man. That's one of the heroes of the Bible. Paul, the great, great missionary apostle, responsible for bringing Christianity really to the Gentile world and expanding it the way that he did. The man killed Christians before he became one. Killed them, imprisoned them. David, I want to be like David. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want that. David was an adulterer. David slept with another man's wife, and when he was close to being found out, he had that man killed. These are the heroes of our book. What am I saying? These heroes in the Bible are men at best, flawed, weak, yet anointed. And here's Elijah, scared out of his mind, running a hundred miles away. The man who was once carrying the hope of Israel is now running from the threats of one woman. This is Elijah. Now, he was vulnerable. Why was he vulnerable? Because he, he'd just come off of a great victory. This is important for you guys to know. I mentioned this last week. It's not just the low lows you have to worry about. Sometimes it's the high highs that you have to worry about. 
It's those great moments of victory that either open us up to pride or they open us up to great disappointment. Because Elijah was like, surely this is it. Surely the nation is turning. And when it didn't, it brought great despair to this man's life. After all that he had done, traveling in the wilderness, having to have ravens provide his food and having to go to the Gentiles, having to stand and pray and beg God. And after all of that, to still have his life threatened, he's ready to give up. Be very careful of your greatest moments of success. Because in those moments afterwards, you're very vulnerable. You're very vulnerable. The Bible's interestingly enough, it says this. It says that he left his servant. I want to point this out just for a moment. Why is it that when we find ourselves going on a downward spiral, the thing that we do is we isolate ourselves from the very people who are in our lives to help us? The Bible points out this little detail. He left his servant. His servant was there to help him. His servant was there to assist him. Yet he isolated himself from them. In your own life, do you find yourself isolating yourself from the people that God put in your life to help you? Do you find yourself pushing them away? You start finding reasons to push yourself away from them. You start, you start identifying little things that never really shouldn't bother you, but we call it a 210 reaction, meaning you should respond at a level two, but you respond at a level 10. Why? Because you're just trying to push them out of your life. Get away from me. I don't want your help, but you need it. And if you would humble yourself long enough, you would know you need it. People hurt me, Pastor Gabe. Welcome to the planet. And you insulating and isolating yourself will not solve the problem. It may numb you, but the problem won't go away. Let's keep going. Just need to identify it. If you find yourself not wanting to be around people, there may be a problem. And I'm, I'm clearly... I'm very clear on the fact that I'm speaking to three different groups of people in this room t- this morning. I'm speaking to the group of people who, trust me when I say this, this message does not apply to you right now. You're doing great. You're wondering why we're even talking about it. But I encourage you, take notes. Because one day you will need it. One day, this is the rhythms and the cycle of life. There are seasons You may be in a summer season, but trust me, winter comes. Fall comes. So I recognize I'm speaking to you. The second group of people, you're just brutally honest and you know, Pastor, the reason I came because I heard you were talking about this and this is exactly what I need. I'm here because I recognize this is, I am in the same place as Elijah, but yet there's a third group as well. And the third group, everybody knows the person in the second group is in that season. But the, group, the third group of people, you're the only one who knows you're in that season. And you put on the front and you let everybody think that you're okay. You're the strong one. You're the dependable one. You're the one who's got it all together. I cannot show a chink in my armor. I cannot do that because I have to have it all together. But inwardly, you are exactly where Elijah is, defeated, depressed, wishing it would all go away. 
Hear this message this morning, no matter where you're at, and let God speak to you. Verse four, then he, Elijah, went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. That's very important. We're going to come back to that and prayed that he might die. Listen to the words he said. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Here's this great prophet. This is what he's telling God. Three things. I want to break them down. The first thing he says is this. He says, I've had enough. I have had enough. I'm discouraged. This is too much for me. And that's a very important statement that I'm going to come back to as well. But he's saying, this is too much. God, I've had enough. I'm done. I am done. The second thing he says is, take my life. Just kill me, God. Just take me home. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. God, just take me home, please. I, just, I don't even want to be here anymore. I'm tired of the problems. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the issues. I'm tired of the stuff. What's ironic, he's reached his threshold, his pain threshold, and he feels like I can't take anymore. God, just, just kill me. Why did he run away from Jezebel? Because she threatened to kill him. Yet here he is standing before God, asking God to kill him. When you get into that dark place in your life, that dark place in your soul, your thinking is erratic. It doesn't even make sense. I, I didn't stand for God there because I was afraid I would lose my life, but I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna ask God to take my life. He was just operating in fear. And he was discouraged and he was tired and he was depressed. And then he says this, he says, I am no better than my father's. In other words, he's not even seeing himself clearly. He's seeing the fact, God, I just took care of 850 prophets, yet here I am scared to death under a tree. I've ran away, I've ran away from my post, I've ran away from the calling, I've ran away from the thing you asked me to do, God, and I recognize I am no better than everybody else. I'm a loser. I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. That's where he found himself. Let's keep going. I have to ask you this question. Have you been there? Have you been there? You feel like you've just done everything right. I kept doing the right thing. I keep doing the right thing. And it just won't stop coming. Do you want to know why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9? This is what it says. I'm going to explain to you why it says this. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do you want to know why it says that? Because you will be tempted to give up. It encourages you to not give up because it knows you will be tempted to give up. There are times when you just keep doing the right thing over and over and over again and it just, it seems like it's just too much. And what, what I found to be ironic in growing weary when we're, doing, when we're doing good, it's not the big things that get us. It's not the big problems that depress us. It's not the big problems that make us want to give up. We can go through a pandemic, no problem. The world shuts down, great. 
I'll stay home and gain 15 pounds eating Cheez-Its. It's good. Okay. Major life changes. All right, I'll bear down. I'll go through it. Devastating things to your family. Okay, you're, I'm strong. But it's the little dripping faucets that get us. It's, it's not the big problems that discourage us. It's the constant problems that discourage us. It's the child that you're wanting to change and they haven't changed yet. It's the, it's the, the Ill, that ailment, the sickness that won't seem to go away. It's not ending your life, but it's making your life tougher while it's here and it won't seem to go away. It's the praying for that spouse when you're watching every one of your friends get married and you, yours hasn't come yet. It's the one that you have that you're, will not change. She won't stop complaining. He won't stop making bad decisions. And we, we can't stop arguing. It's constant. It's time after time after time. And it just doesn't seem to go away. That's the things that get us. It's the dripping faucets. Listen, this is what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Don't miss this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Do you know what that means? Because let me explain it to you. Hope deferred. Let me tell you, that word deferred means to put off. It means to elongate, to push it off. Some of you know what that is because that's what you do with all of your college loans. You just keep deferring them and deferring them and deferring them. Be honest. But that's what that means. Hope deferred, hope pushed off, hope let down. Makes the heart sick. In other words, this is what happens. You hope for something and it doesn't happen. And then you hope again and it doesn't happen. And then you get to the point where you stop hoping. And when you stop hoping, your heart turns dark. Your heart turns sick. And not only do you no longer hope, now you make it your mission in life to make sure nobody else does either. You see someone with hope. That's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Somebody has joy, huh? You'll grow up. Oh, happy new couple. Give it time. You make it your goal in life to discourage people. Why? Because misery loves company. And we, we say it like this in freedom all the time. Hurt people, hurt people. Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. This man had done this great work and where the king and the queen should have turned and repented of their sin, they now turned against him once again and wanted him dead. And he just gave up. It's like, I'm just done. I hoped for this and not only did this not happen, that ended up happening. Verse five, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Now I want to give you a picture. I told you I was going to talk about that broom tree. A broom tree, I want you to picture this in your mind. Picture a desert, a wilderness, and picture the only green thing in the picture is a tree. 
That's what a broom tree is. It's a smaller tree, but it, it, its roots go so deep that it's able to pull out the moisture of the land, even when there's no moisture on the top of the land. Remember, they had been in a three and a half year drought. So you have this one solitary green tree in a wilderness, in a desert, and Elijah's sitting there underneath that tree. That's a picture of two important things. It's a picture of the way he felt. I'm by myself, I'm in a dry place. That's where some of you are today. I'm in a dry place, I'm in the wilderness. But it's also a picture of God's provision. Because even in the wilderness, God provided shade for this man. Now, I've had God provide a lot of miraculous things in my life. Really, he has. He's come through in moments where, God, I don't know what we're going to do. We go into the mailbox and there's a check in there. I've had God tend to those things and take care of us in many ways. But I got to be honest, I've never had God send an angel to bake cookies for me. I've never woken up in croissants by Gabriel or happening in my, never happened. God is supernaturally providing for this man. He's supernaturally doing this for this man. And the only thing that he wants to do is sleep. He doesn't even want to get up. He's just depressed. He's just, I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. He's sitting there with God providing for him, God meeting his needs. Even that, now I don't want you to miss this, even sleep is, is an ignored grace from God. Why do I say that? Because that's a gift. The fact that you can sleep every night is a gift. It's the grace of God. But it's the grace of God that we don't realize was the grace of God until we no longer have that grace. When you're upset and you're depressed and you're angry and you're hurt and you, all you want to do is sleep and you physically can't. God gives peace and grace to those he loves, his beloved. So that he ignored. The broom tree he ignored. The angel providing a meal for him he ignored. How do I know? His response, his, this was his response to the angel. Nothing. God sent this angel to do this great thing and provide this meal and he ate it and he turned around and he went right back to sleep. No recognition, no thank you. Again, have you been there? If you stop and think in those moments, God has been so faithful to us, but in our dark moments, we just can't see it. If you would open up your eyes and realize I'm sitting underneath a tree in the desert, if you would open up your eyes and realize an angel just provided for me. He couldn't see anything beyond his own depression. And this is the third time God has provided for him, by the way. The first time ravens brought him meat. A selfish animal brought him food. The second time God sent him to the Gentiles and this Gentile woman who they were supposed to really have no dealings together. Not only does she provide for him, but God provides unlimited food for her and her son so that she could provide for him. God was constantly providing for Elijah, but he couldn't see it. God has constantly been providing for you. Even when you don't see it. Even when you're in your darkest moments, God 
is still providing for you. What do I want you to see? He's still good to you. Yes, you're hurt. Yes, you're mad. Yes, you're angry. He is still good and he's not going to stop being good to you. He loves you. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Don't miss this next part. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. The angel comes back, makes another meal for him. And he tells him something that's so profound. He says, get up and eat again, Elijah, or you won't have enough strength for the journey ahead of you. I believe Elijah had physical strength. He traveled all this way to get there. But emotionally, he was just spent, just done. But the angel says, eat this or you won't have enough. There's a scripture that I've heard so many people quote, and I used to be guilty of quoting it myself, that says this, excuse me, God will never put more on you than you can bear. That's not a scripture. It's not in the Bible. Well, pastor, I know it is. I've read it. No, you haven't. This is what that verse actually says. And it's not up here, but you can write it down. I'll tell you exactly where it's at. Read it, read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. God will never tempt you beyond what you can bear. There's a difference. What God is saying, if this scripture is saying, is God will never allow you to be in a position where the temptation is strong, so strong that you have no other choice but to give in to that temptation. God said, I will never do that. I will always open up a door for you to escape that temptation. So every time you go, I just had to do it, that's not true. Because he will always make a way for you to get out of that. That's sin. But what it's not saying is God will never put more on you. He will never put more weight on you than you can handle. That's not true because God definitely will put more weight on you than you can handle. God will consistently allow you to be in a place where the weight is crushing you so much that it causes you to get down on your knees and call out to him. That he will do. God will never put more on me than I can bear. That's not true. God will put more on you than you can bear and then give you the grace to bear it. And then give you the strength to do it. Give you the strength to endure it. This angel was saying, you don't have enough strength for the journey ahead of you. Eat what I'm gonna provide for you. How many of you want some of that food? How many of you would like to eat a bowl of gumbo that you don't have to eat again for three months? That would be great. (laughs) Verse eight, so he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Pause right there. Did you see a thank you in there? Neither did I. 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So he travels these 40 days and these 40 nights to a mountain. And by the way, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Meet Me on the Mountain. As I begin my message this morning, I'm just joking. (laughs) 
But that's the title of this message. Meet me on the mountain. And I believe that's what God is calling some of you to do today. That's what he's saying to you. Meet me on the mountain. Come up here and see what I want to show you. Come up here and let's have that conversation. This was not just any mountain. This was the mountain of God. This was Mount Sinai. What do you mean by the mountain of God? This is the very same mountain that Moses met God on. This is the very same mountain that God gave Moses the law. This is a very important place. And Elijah goes to the very place where God met with man. Now, did God call Elijah to come there or did Elijah choose to go there? I don't know. That I don't know. But I can tell you this. I wouldn't be surprised if Elijah in his desperation said, I'm going to the place where I know you'll be. I remember when I lived in Mississippi, which is a wilderness in and of itself. (laughs) My wife said so true. All right. I remember when I lived there, I had a place. And it was a little pier in Gulfport right on the beach that God knew when I showed up there, it was serious. It was our place. And I can remember a a really hard season in my life that I showed up in that place and he spoke to me and it changed my outlook on everything. I had a place. And I believe in Elijah's desperation, he went to the place. Verse 9. This is what it says while he's there at the mountain of God. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let me pause there for a moment because I want to read this in the NIV version, a different translation because I like it better with this particular passage. This is what it says. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's the difference between the two? It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Who did I just say met with God on this mountain? Moses. Who's meeting with God right now on this mountain? When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who were the two people that showed up on that mountain? Moses and Elijah. What am I saying here? Really, two things. We need to go to the mountain to meet with God, as I've already expressed, as I've already said. But also, sometimes, when it's you in a desperate place, the thing that you need is the word of the Lord to come to you. What does the Bible call Jesus? The word of the Lord. In other words, this is what I'm saying. Don't miss this. The person who showed up to meet with Elijah in his darkest moment was not just a voice. It was Jesus Christ himself. Jesus showed up to meet with Elijah. The same way Jesus showed up to meet with Moses. The same way Moses and Elijah would later stand on a mountain with Jesus when he reveals his glory, reveals himself in the transfiguration. We need to meet with him where he can reveal himself to us. He can reveal himself to us. Let's keep going. He asked him the question, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? Can I help you with something? When God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He's not asking because he didn't know. God wasn't up there going, she did what? God knew the answer. I believe what he was doing was he was extending, don't miss this, extending an invitation for an honest conversation. For you this morning, I believe he's extending that exact same invitation for a very honest and very real conversation. When he asked him that question, this is what Elijah says, verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord. In other words, I've been very zealous for you. I've been doing this because you asked me to. I didn't choose this. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. I've been fighting for this. God, I've been fighting for you. And they've rejected you. They've torn down your altars. And they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Isn't it ironic how when we're going through something, we feel like we're the only one? We think we're the only person in the world that this is happening to. And here's Elijah telling God, God, I'm the only good person left trying to do something for you. And if they get rid of me, they're going to put you out of business. There'll be no more God in Israel if they get rid of me. Was he right? Of course not. Was he making excuses? Of course he was. Was he emotional? Yes. Did God fault him? Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, that's what most of us in this room who are in this season, this is exactly what you need to do. Stop treating God like you just got to tell him what he needs to hear and get before him and tell him exactly how you feel. God, they hurt me. Some of you just need to identify that. They wounded me. God, I trusted them because I believed you put them in my life and they hurt me. God, they disappointed me. I put my trust in them and they let me down. God, that boss wounded me. God, that spouse has hurt me. God, that child has never shown gratitude. God, I don't know what else to do. And you let God know exactly how you feel. And you pour it out. The healthiest people in the kingdom are the people who can pour it all out to God. Because let me let you in on a secret. He already knows. When he asked the question, it wasn't because he didn't know the answer. He just needed you to be honest. He just needed you to pour it out. And listen to me. Some of you are like, I don't want to say that because I feel like I'm wrong. You are. You are wrong. Your perspective is off. But he still wants to hear what's in your heart. Because he knows that thing in your heart, you can't seem to get past it. You can't move forward until we identify it and I can speak to it. And after you've poured out your pain to God, listen, David in the Bible was synonymous for this. David in the Bible would pray and he was just so honest with God. God, kill them all. (laughs) Literally, he would pray this. God, kill them, kill their kids. 
He was very honest. But when you are that honest and you're that transparent and you're that vulnerable, you open yourself up to hear from him. Because God doesn't want the show version of you. He wants you. That's what you need to do, many of you in this room. Go home today. Close the door of your room and pour out your pain to God. Yell. Cry. Scream. Don't punch a wall because you got to pay for it. (laughs) Punch the air. Punch a pillow. Tell God exactly how, listen to me, not what you know. Tell God exactly how you feel. I've heard people criticize Elijah for this. Elijah wasn't, Elijah was just complaining to God, of course he did. But if you notice, God didn't yell at him for it. God didn't even judge him for it. As the next verse tells us, verse 11 The Lord God said, after Elijah poured it out, the Lord God said, go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, which that's the invitation for many of you. You just need to go get in the presence of God. Cut on some worship music and get in his presence. Some of you are like, I'm good at complaining. But the problem is you've been complaining to all of the wrong people. You're complaining to man about your problem instead of complaining to the solution about your problem. He says, go and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face. This is the same thing Moses did. When the glory of the Lord passed before him, he hid his face. I believe Elijah was showing reverence and honor for God because the glory of the Lord was passing in front of him. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Ironically enough, going back to this for a moment, both Moses and Elijah hid their face But when Jesus came, they got to watch the glory of the Lord revealed with their own eyes. Now, again, I want to point this out to you because it's important. This is the same mountain that God gave the law to Moses. And what happened when God visited that mountain when Moses was there? Fire, earthquake, lightning. God had previously visited that mountain the same way that it just said he was not in. This time, God didn't come to Elijah with the law. He came to Elijah with grace. He came to Elijah with gentleness. He came to Elijah with a whisper. After you pour out your pain, listen for the whisper. Listen for his voice. Listen to what he wants to tell you. He came to Elijah and he dealt gently with him. Now let me point this out. I don't believe Elijah sinned by leaving because God didn't tell him not to leave. But he was discouraged and he was hurt and he was scared. And God came to him to encourage him. And what does encourage mean? It means to give courage, to put courage in 
God came to encourage him and he dealt gently with this prophet. Sometimes we just need to hear his whisper. And again, for many of you that are discouraged, go meet with him. Go pour it out. But then listen. I've noticed in my own life, and I was telling one of my best friends just this past week, there are moments where I'm in the middle, I'm in the place like Elijah. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm scared. Pastor Gabe, you, yes. Ask my wife. She's seen it. She knows. The best of men are men at best. We all get there. But what do we do when we get there? I've been in those moments. And the truth be told, the thing that gets me out of those moments is not medication. And I'm not against medication. If you need to be on it, continue to take your medication, please. The thing that gets me out of it is not the circumstance changing. That often does not happen. I will tell you the thing that gets me out of it. The voice of the Lord. When his word comes to me and he confirms I'm still with you. All of a sudden that courage comes back. All of a sudden when I know I'm in the place that he wants me to be, I can go through what I need to go through. And that gentle whisper is what some of you need to hear. And that may come in the form of someone God sends in your life. That may come in the form of opening up your Bible and reading and the words jumping off your pages. But however the word of the Lord comes, seek it. Because more than anything, that's what you need to get you out of the funk that you're in. Are y'all with me? I'll say this as well. Faith is a shield. The Bible says that faith is a shield against the fiery darts of the enemy. So the discouragement, the accusations, the stuff that comes against you constantly, the thing that protects you from it is the shield of faith. The thing that Elijah needed was the shield of faith. And how does the faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When his word comes to you, your faith increases. God, I can deal with this because I know you're with me. I can face this because, Lord, you're with me. And Jesus is the word of the Lord. Are y'all with me? Let's keep going. I'm almost done. Elijah hears this, and he's still processing it. How do I know he's still processing it? Verse 13. Then a voice said to him, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, same thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, God. And now they're trying to kill me too. But I believe faith was starting to rise in him. But there's still some things he couldn't get in. Come on, you're still in process. Some of you are starting to come out of it. Thank God you're starting to come out of it. You're in process. But I love how God responds to him. And this is the moment that you will find yourself coming to. Verse 15. The Lord said, this was his reply. He'd already whispered to him. Then he replies, go back to the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. 
when you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and have mouth, excuse me, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, two things I want you to see. The first one is the last one. I'm going to tell you that first. You're not the only one. Elijah, I've got 7,000 other of you. You are not the make it or break it for whether or not I move in your nation. I'm God. I've got 7,000 others. But what's interesting to me is the first part is he says this. The word comes. I want you to picture this. Elijah ran away from the threats of the queen. Not even the king because he knew who had the real power. But he ran away from the threats of the queen. But when the voice of the Lord came to him and God spoke to him, what did God tell him? He said, go and anoint Jehu, king of Israel. In other words, he's saying, you ran away from that monarchy, but I'm giving you my authority to replace them. This is how big I am. I'm not threatened by Ahab or Jezebel. I can replace them when I feel like it. And I will use you to replace them. I'm God, Elijah. And he's also saying this. I know you've been down. I know you've been discouraged. I know you haven't wanted to get out of bed. I know you felt like it's over. But get up. Stop wallowing in your self-pity. Stop wallowing in your discouragement. I've heard your heart. I'm not condemning you, but I am not going to let you stay here. I'm not done with you. And some of you need to know that. You've been in your discouragement long enough. God's not done with you. Get back on mission. Get back to what he's called you to. Pastor, I felt like years ago I walked away from God and I missed the call of God for my life. No, you haven't, because here's the call of God on your life. You ready? Follow me. That's his call. Follow me. If you stop following, get up and start following again. If you're discouraged, get up and keep following. He's not done with you. And I believe he was giving him a gift as well. He gave him purpose again for his life. Life is not over for you, Elijah. I'm not lost. I'm still on the throne. And I'm going to use you. And here's the thing. God eventually judges Ahab and Jezebel. And God uses Elijah and other prophets in that process to judge them. God has not given over the rights of your circumstances to anyone else. He's still God. Trust him. He still has a purpose for you. He still has a plan for you. He still has something for you to do. But the decision of whether or not you're going to get up is in your hands. 
He's not telling you stay down. He's saying get up. He's not saying I'm done with you. He says I've got purpose for you. He's not saying you can't do this. You're done. He's saying you're still my man. You're still my woman. I don't condemn you for being down. I'm not beating you up for being down. But you've been down long enough. It's time to get up. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you, this is what you need to hear. The only way that you lose is if you quit. I'm going to say that again. The only way you lose is if you give up, if you quit. If you keep going, he's with you. No matter what you face, he's for you. He's with you. But you got to get up. Prophet of God, prophetess of God man of God, woman of God in this place, get up. Get up. Let me pray for you. Please close your eyes. Bow your heads. Lord, I thank you that just like Jonah, who ran away from your call, when you spoke to Elijah, you told him to go right back to the very thing you called him to do. And I pray for you people in this place today that they would get up and go right back to the thing you've called them to. I pray that they would heed the invitation that you've given them for that very honest conversation. Lord, for those who've lost family members in this place today and they're angry and they're mad at you, give them the courage to voice that. Give them the courage to have that conversation with you. For those, God, who've had hope in so many circumstances, they were going to get that job. Life was going to go this way. Marriage was going to look like this. Parenting was going to look like this. My health was going to look like this. But hope deferred has made their hearts sick. I pray they heed the invitation to have that honest conversation with you. Thank you for dealing gently with us. Thank you for dealing kindly and mercifully and graciously with us. But I pray they heed the call. And I pray they get up and they keep going. Thank you, Jesus. Nobody looking around. I just believe the grace of God is ministering to some of you right now. So with nobody looking around, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand and identify yourself. I just want you to lift up both of your hands and to receive the grace of God this morning. If that's you, and this is speaking to you, lift up both of your hands and just receive the grace of God as it ministers to you this morning. Thank you, God, for hope. Thank you for hope. Breathe courage again into your people. And I thank you for replacing mourning for dancing. Thank you for giving beauty where there's ashes. We trust you. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I don't want you to rush out of that moment. Just receive the grace of God. Take a deep breath and receive the grace of God this morning.
Thank you that even in the silence you're speaking. down if you're here every eye closed every head bow if you're here this morning and you say pastor Gabe I'm far away from God even as you talk about these things I know that I'm just distant from him I don't know the Lord I'm not born again I'm not part of his kingdom I'm not saved if I died today I don't know where I would go there's an invitation that he's offering to you as well and that's the invitation to be his child Jesus died on the cross, not so people could be religious church people. He died on the cross so that you could become the sons and the daughters of God and could inherit eternal life. Jesus said this to a religious leader. He said, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm not born again, I want to pray for you. And I want to walk you through a very simple process. It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner honest about where you're really at. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for every sin you've ever committed. And C, you confess that he is now the Lord of your life. You're confessing not just verbally, but you're giving an allegiance that I'm going to follow you, Jesus, with the rest of my life. I'm going to follow you. If that's you and no one looking around, on the count of three, I'm asking you to lift up your hand so I can identify who I'm praying with. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender. One, two, three. That's you. Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand back there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. You can put them now. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together and I'm going to release you. Say these words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I repent of my sin, turning away from it, I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer to be born again.